Hello, 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 and welcome or welcome back to Fancy Blether Podcast. Not small talk, which is what I said last week, I know. Very intelligent of me. But it is Fancy Blether. Small talk is on Wednesday, Fancy Blether's on Monday. New timetable, new year, new timetable, same old me. Um, yeah, so we will be talking this week to Jen Whitmer all about solving conflict and building self-awareness and a bit about enneagrams and all kinds of fun things so do stay tuned for that interview but now let's kick off into the intro hello hi kirsty here um Let's get started with our usual, our small wonder of the week. So I've been thinking about this and I'm a big to-do list gal. I know some people aren't, some people are, Just it just varies. And I made a joke saying I was so type A and it went over people's heads because apparently people don't know what that is. But I thought that was like a common thing to say. Um, but I'm a very type A personality, which I'm sure many of you already know or have realised throughout the podcast. So my small wonder of the week is that moment where you tick everything off of a to-do list. There is no feeling quite like it in the whole wide world. So that is our small wonder for this week. Um, so what I'm engaging with, well, it's another week in lockdown here in the uh, land of the Scots, um, good old Alba. And um, I'm at home still with my parents, a little life update. I'm still here with my parents, waiting to go back to my flat, waiting for schools to open, waiting for something to change. Um, but actually I'm kind of starting to to ease into the relaxing side of things and enjoy a little bit of a slower pace for a while. Um, good days and bad days, like everyone. Obviously would rather chosen this life, but anyway, it is what it is. We All we can do is make the most of it. Of course, feel your feelings, but um, at some point you just have to, got to, Pull up your socks, and I don't think that's the saying. Pull up your boots and um, get on with it. Not get on with it, but you know what I mean. Um, just live life. Um, so I've been hanging out with my dad. Hi, dad, if you're listening. Probably not. I believe my dad has listened to some episodes. I believe he's rather behind. Um, but we have been watching Grand Designs, a family favourite. And um, we've just started the new season. We've watched two episodes. We still haven't finished the old seasons. But regardless, we've now seen two episodes of the new season. So we're nearly up to date on the new season, even though we haven't watched half of the old season. But So that is what I've been engaging with. Grand Designs and my favourite TV presenter, Kevin. Top-notch guy. Great show. Highly recommend. Just a good time all around. Yeah, so that is what I've been engaging with. Um, so up next, we're going to do the positive news story and then we're going to go into our poem. So for our positive news story, I got it from one of my favourite websites. That's positive.news. Nice and simple, easy to remember. I believe they actually have a magazine too that you could check out. And they do these posts where they just do like a rundown of positive news that's happened throughout the week and caught what went right this week, which is super cool which I'll have linked in the show notes so you can read all the other things and check out their future ones. Um, but the headline that stood out to me was number of indie bookshops grew despite pandemic. So I just love this. Obviously, we love a bit of literature here on the pod. Book Club episode coming soon. Midnight Library. Hope you're reading it. Um, 
I love that people have rekindled their love affair with literature and I also love that it's through indie bookshops because I love an indie bookshop. If you're an Edinburgh gal, Lighthouse Bookshop, love it. Armchair Books, I think, and also um, I believe Portobello Bookshop is the other one. That uh, They're my top hits. Um, yeah, in Aberdeen, there's like, um, the, is it Old Aberdeen Bookshop is near my house or something? Just, just amazing places to be. There's good times all around. And uh, yeah, so it says that um, more than 50 bookshops launched last year, despite the coronavirus crisis outnumbering the 44 that closed. That's cool. The increase in openings helped the association swell its membership to 967 bookshops in the UK and Ireland. The highest number since 2013. I love that. And apparently 35% of people have read more during this time. Well, I mean, why not? Why not read? I actually probably am in the same boat. More time to read. So why not read if you've got the time, right? Um, so that is our positive news story. And up next, we have our poem of the week. For those of you that are not Scottish... Today is, because I am recording this on the day, is Rabbi Burns Day, um, or Robert Burns Day, and um, if you don't know who Robert Burns or Rabbi Burns is, he is a, he was, I suppose, a Scottish poet who's very well known and loved, and um, we just, um, what are we doing Rabbi Burns Day normally? We have a Kaylee, which is kind of like a dance of sorts, kind of hard to describe. If you're not Scottish, you won't get it. It's it's the best time of all times, really, Botticelli is. And eat haggis neeps and taddies, which actually I think don't think we're having his family to Wednesday, but oh well, today is actually the day of it. Um, so I thought, what's more fitting today than a Rabbi Burns poem? Um, if you're not Scottish, if you don't speak Scots, or if you just never read any Rabbi Burns, then I apologise, this is in Scots, what he writes in, and um, I also apologise in advance for my pronunciation of some of the words, because it's been a hot second since I read any Scots out loud, so it's been it's been a hot minute, so please bear with me for the, for the sake of this poem, and I'll try my absolute best not to butcher Rabbi Burns's um words but i found this poem obviously i've read quite a few of them before um one of his favorites one of my favorites sorry of his to a mouse by robert Burns, which in i found on the poetry foundation which i seriously recommend you check out because it's really cool it's a really good website i really like it um, and i'll have it linked on the show notes so you can go and read the poem for yourself or maybe you can click the link and read along with me isn't that sweet Okay. To a Mouse by Robert Burns. On turning her up in her nest with the plough, November 1785, we sleek it, comrade timbrous beastie. Oh, what a panic's in thy breastie. Thou need na start a wa, say hasty. We bickering brattle, I would be laith to rin a chase thee, we murdlin pattle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion 
which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earthborn companion and fellow mortal. I doubt na wheels, but thou may thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou maun leave? A damn ecker in a thrave, request, I'll get a blessing wee the lave and never missed. The wee bit hoosty too in ruin. It's silly was the winds are strewing, and Nathan now to big a new ain o foggy grain, green and bleak December's winds ensuing, both snell and keen. Thou saw the fields lay bare and waste, and weary winter coming fast, and cosy here beneath the blast, thou thought to dwell till crash, the cruel cutler passed out through thy cell. That that wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble has cost thee money a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for a thigh treble, but house or hall to thole the winter's sleety dribble and crinicken and crannigruch cold. But mousy thou art no thy lane, in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes o' mice and men gang aft agley and lies naught but grief and pain for promised joy. Still thou art blessed compared with me. The present only touched thee, but och, I backward cast my ye on prospects drear, and forward though I canny see, I guess and fear. So yeah, that was my probably fairly awful rendition. So renditions, yeah, I can't even say English now. Of um, "To a Mouse" by Rabbi Burns. Apologies again for any horrendously pronounced words. As I said, it's been a while since I hit the Scots. Okay, so now we are going to hop into our interview with Jen Whitmer. So, Jen Whitmer helps teams and leaders solve conflict and personality clashes. She speaks, writes, and coaches with joy. Through working with Jen, people improve communication, work through conflict, and build self-awareness with the Enneagram. She asks big questions that lead to big dreams and big ideas and big living. Usually, that means laughing. Specialising in interpersonal conflict resolution, leadership and the Enneagram, Jen helps others communicate through difficulty difficulty, so they can build confidence, lead powerfully and live with peace and wholeness. Okay. Hi, Jen and uh, welcome to the podcast. It is lovely to have you here. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Perfect. So let's just hop straight into the question. So my first question I had for you was, um, what inspired you to start your career in coaching? Ah, thanks for that question. So I was an educator for 20 years Mm -hmm. and spent um, a career helping students. And then I moved into leadership. And after leaving education, I actually became a speaker. And what I noticed is that while I was impacting large audiences, which I still absolutely love to do, I also really liked the questions after when Mm -hmm. people would come up and they wanted to work through each specific, their 
their circumstances and that one particular conflict or that one particular situation. And so I really loved helping people. And then when COVID happened, <laughs> we're all home and yeah. <laughs> events sort of kind of for a moment went on pause. Mm-hmm. And so I had been doing some coaching and then I was like, oh, I can just now coach more people. Uh, so that was a really fun aspect of helping people really resolve conflicts, see themselves, grow in self-awareness and really start to lead confidently mm-hmm. and powerfully and showing up in their own lives, which is what I was doing on a stage, but now really uh, being a guide to one person at a time was really fun. And now some group coaching and, and the group aspect of that. So amazing. I love that. Perfect. So I know from uh, having a look into your work that you um, kind of have a focus on the Enneagram and I was wondering mm-hmm. why, um, why, why is that? why did you make that choice I suppose why the Enneagram that it is a long and twisted tale Um, (laughs) I started so in this faculty leadership position I had a leader who um, just wasn't in a great position for his skills and because of that he also wasn't in a healthy place and started to take it out on our team and lots of dysfunction and harm to our careers our personal um, our organizational culture, all of that kind of happened. And while I was in that situation, I was reintroduced to the Enneagram. I was a big believer in Myers-Briggs and Finders. We used it as part of our faculty training. And I, I first learned it in college and it was so formative for me in university to start that growth and self-awareness. And then I was actually told about the Enneagram in college, but there were like these big words and they were ugly and it was on yeah. this weird piece of paper. And I was like, this isn't cool, I don't care. Um, so, but what I discovered during this explosion in the middle of my career, how much value the Enneagram brought to me understanding my own motivations. So although this leader really was challenging and really struggled and really did damage, my responses were partly because of my own fears and desires and motivations. And once I could understand that, then I could change how I was showing up. The behaviors weren't just some formula, they were actually addressing some deep needs within me. And so when I discovered that for myself, I started working and when I became a speaker, I started and like understanding how valuable those motivations were. Um, So that's when I decided to become a certified Enneagram coach, not just like read on my own, but really go get trained. So one that I could use the tool appropriately. And really be helpful to people and not like yeah. just yeah. kind of randomly know <laughs> stuff. Um, but really just have seen the power of it in everybody's lives. So in my speaking career and in my coaching clients and in my leadership clients, even in the corporate workshops that I do, I see how much understanding the motivations and having the language to talk about it. I think we all know I'm afraid, but we don't know what I'm really afraid of. And so the Mm -hmm. Enneagram really gives us some language to talk about beyond just, so if you're new to the Enneagram and you're like, what is this word she's been talking about for five minutes? (laughs) It's a personality framework. And that personality framework labels people's motivations. And so, and it gives us language. And I found that so incredibly valuable because it gives us the tools to then bring more lasting change and more acceptance of our Mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses that are in a really compassionate way. Amazing. Well, just kind of following on from that, I guess, um, 
So obviously people that do know about the Enneagram, um, particularly like on a bigger scale, it's, it's typically from kind of your like internet quizzes, Buzzfeed kind of um, <laughs> quizzes. So, but how does it all actually work? I suppose a big question, but it, cause it, to me, like I don't know much about the Enneagram other than like I've done a quiz one day and found it. I think we actually did a podcast episode like quite early on um about it about what our enneagrams are but like how does it all work if you see what I mean and then to add on to that how do you build it into your work that you do now like how do you build it into your coaching which you've spoken oh. on touched on a little bit already so yeah no absolutely so like I said the enneagram is this personality framework mm-hmm. and any personality framework is just that it's a framework it's not the only tool in your tool belt. It's mm-hmm. a really good one, but you can't build a whole life on one tool. Yeah. So I just want to kind of say that up front. Um, but the what I have found about using the Enneagram, it is deeper than a party trick. Like we, it gets really fun. Like the Enneagram memes on Instagram and the fun BuzzFeed quiz, like those are fun. And I get that. And I'm a hundred percent for fun. <laughs> I do really love that. Nice. But when you start to look at the the motivations, and so there are nine different types. And um, so I'm just going to quickly run through them. And as your Mm -hmm. listeners are listening, see if one kind of almost you're like, oh my gosh, I feel attacked. (laughs) Or like, oh, ouch, how did you know that about me? Yeah, (laughs) that's that's when we can start applying it. So if I run through them and then I can kind of explain how we apply it. So and I'm going to start with eights. So for all the people in the room, like, wait, it's one through nine. I understand. Uh, we're going to start with eights <laughs> and go around to seven. I'll explain why later. So the eights are the, the powerhouses of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. They um, are leaders just supernaturally, like naturally a leader in that almost bossy sense. I don't know any eight women who've ever been not told they're bossy. Um, They are great natural leaders because they are looking to protect themselves and looking to protect those they love. And so they are a little bit afraid of vulnerability. They're afraid of being manipulated and they're afraid of being controlled and they're deeply afraid of being betrayed. So that um, what they're wanting is that protection and um, peace for their heart in that way. And then the Enneagram nines, Enneagram nines are the, they have the least amount of energy on the Enneagram. And that's because they're always looking for harmony. They're deeply afraid of losing connection, of losing um, relationships and what happens if I, Um, don't have stability and peace. And so because of that, they're always wanting to make it easy for everybody else. They're the ones who get decision fatigue. I like to joke that don't ask an Enneagram nine where they want to go for dinner. Um, (laughs) They're like, whatever, a curry, a kebab, I don't care. Uh, They're just gonna, they're gonna, whatever. And it's because if they say something, then somebody might disagree and they might lose connection. And that's deep in the heart of a nine. And then Enneagram ones use perfectionism. They're always looking to reform things because they're afraid of being wrong and not afraid of being wrong, like in an argument of I'm right and you're wrong, but against a standard like, Mm -hmm. oh, but that's the wrong thing to do. And so they really want that. They don't want to be corrupted or inappropriate or rude. They really want accuracy and goodness and balance. And that's what Enneagram ones are going for. 
And then Enneagram twos are these big helpers on the Enneagram. They're like inserters to just like the servants who lay themselves down for everybody. And what they're afraid of is not being needed. And what happens if I am I'm a, I'm a needed? Two. I think I'm a two. <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> remember. Like, yeah, I'm trying to remember from the test. When I think I got two. I was like, oh. oh here you go. <laughs> so you're like, wait, that sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. And like this deep fear of if I don't help you, will you love me? Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's not just like, hey, we should all help one another. It is a deep, like it's an exchange. And if I don't help you, what happens to our relationship? Or if I express that I have a need, mm-hmm. I might get rejected. And it's a really deep fear. Um, But they're so loving and kind too. Like the good side of each of these types is that they are such helpers in the world and we need that. So type threes are these successful competitors. They are like achievers. They're like the motivational posters of the Enneagram. Like the you go girl, you know, like that whole thing I am sure came up from threes. And it's because their fear is to be inefficient or lack success or to be worthless and incompetent in that way. So in order to get love, I have to demonstrate I'm worthy and that's success. And that is in that way. And so they can get caught up in this cycle of, of um, being afraid of that because they really want to be valued and successful. And threes are the ones that are like, yeah, I started an Instagram account and I got like 10,000 followers in three days. I don't even know. <laughs> they just, <laughs> how did you do that? Like that's an Enneagram three. Um, Enneagram fours are not the opposite of threes at all, but they're very different in the sense that their strategy is to create spaces and places of beauty and emotional intimacy and, and authenticity. They mm-hmm. deeply want that. Um, I think I am positive that a four came up with the phrase, we're going to hold space for this. Like they just have this beautiful way of making us feel comfortable in all of the emotions, but inside that's because they're afraid they don't have something Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be typical. Like what if I'm emotionally isolated or inadequate and what if everybody else has this thing that I'm missing and that's why they have what I don't. And so that's the deep fear within the Mm -hmm. fours. And then the fives, instead of being super emotional, like the fours, they're all about thinking. Like they're thinking, 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 thinking. That's their strategy. And so the nines have the least amount of energy and fives have a measured amount of energy. So the rest of us wake up in the morning at like, you know, 90, hundred percent of our energy for the day. And they wake up at like 60 every day. And so they're always measuring that. And because they're afraid of lacking competency, Like they don't want to not know something like deep fear of ignorance or lack of capability. They, and if you ask them for something, what if they don't know, then that's gives that fear of the needs of other people. So it's this cycle of, I have to be capable. What if I'm not capable? And if you need something from me, okay, I'm just going to withdraw and think some more. So that's kind of the five. And then the six is type sixers, like the loyal skeptics. They're the ones that are measuring themselves based on their community and their loyalty. And their core fear is to not be supported. Like, what if I don't have security? What if I don't have guidance? Oh, and what if I get blamed for something? Like that's a big deal for sixes or being physically or emotionally abandoned. 
that that is a deep fear of the six. And because of that, they're always preparing for what if, what if I lose that? What if that happens? And so they're the ones that, you know, like they go to, you know, they go to their lecture and they have not only their laptop, but several notebooks and like backups and yeah. all the pens and the post, like they're always prepared and they have, you know, things are saved on their Google drive and someplace else, and probably on an external hard drive and everything is saved. Cause I'm not going to lose that, thing. that that's an Enneagram six. And then, um, you know, like they're the ones that back up all their text messages into the yeah. cloud, like <laughs> all the things. <laughs> and then the last type are Enneagram sevens and they are the enthusiastic visionaries. And so they're planning. So while sixes are preparing, like, okay, what if this happens? This is what we're going to do. Sevens are like, oh my gosh, what if this happens? And we could do this and this, and, and they're like planning several different activities. And it's because their core fear is being trapped or limited, like being limited is terrifying. The, the, what if I can't take care of myself or what if I'm not taken care of? So I have to keep all my options open and they want to be happy and content and satisfied. And that comes out with this big lust for life. I always call it the starburst brain and like, Oh, I could do this. I could do this. They have a thousand plans. And just like fours, I think came up with holding space. I think sevens came up with the concept of FOMO. Like they are the originators. <laughs> Maybe that's of FOMO. me. That's this is really. I'm like I don't think I'm a type two. <laughs> well, it could be either. There's a couple Maybe. things, and mistyping twos and sevens is a common common oh, really? thing. So well, it could go. be. Um, yeah, and so interestingly enough, like that gets us down to your other second part of your question is like, mm. what do you do with this? Like now that, I mean, you've spent five minutes telling us about the types, what do you do? <laughs> and so you start to recognize that's what's motivating my behavior. Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, if you're living with your roommate and you like a clean counter or the dishes to always get washed after tea and it doesn't happen, what's that could be anybody anybody could be frustrated by that but is it are you afraid of being limited are you because if I don't have those cleaned up then the space won't be clean and I won't be able to do what I want later are you afraid that oh my gosh that's just not the right way to do it I've done something wrong Mm -hmm. are you like it it changes what you do and it changes how you approach the behavior for yourself and when you're aware of what you're afraid of then you ask a different question and you come up with better solutions. And that happens in our career choices, that happens in our conflicts, that happens in our relationships, because people may be doing something and that annoys the other person, but we don't understand what's motivating that. And so it gives us a lot of compassion, not only for ourselves, but for others. And that's what I mean by taking it deeper than a party trick. It is really fun. Enneagram sevens are yes, always up for the funds, but at the same time, Enneagram sevens are really deep because they're looking to be taken care of and they Mm -hmm. want those deep thoughts and those deep things. And we can miss that when we just focus on the surface level fun stuff of, of the Enneagram work. Mm -hmm. Nice. Perfect. Um, so the next question is, um, obviously self-awareness is something that you, um, speak to a lot and something that's very important in, um, in you, in your coaching. So I was just wondering, um, for all our listeners, like why is self-awareness so important in life? Like not just in your career, but just in life in general, why is it beneficial to be self-aware? Oh yeah. So here's the thing. There are a couple different types of Mm self-awareness. There's the self-awareness of your inner world and there is the self-awareness of how other people perceive you. Mm -hmm. So just, there's two different types there. Um, 
And when you're talking about self-awareness, your inner world is how you understand yourself. And then if you can't understand yourself, you can't understand how other people are different from you. You have to have a starting point. So I can't go from point A to point B if I don't know where point A is. And so that self-awareness, understanding your own inner world, what's motivating you, what you like, what you don't like, what's, what are you afraid of? What are you wanting? What are, what's the messages you're telling yourself, the stories you're telling yourself, all of that changes your perception of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And when you're aware of how other people perceive you, you can also then adjust when appropriate. There are certain things that like, I'm not changing about myself, but there are certain circumstances, (laughs) you know, like I'm not wearing a swimming suit to a ball. That's not how that goes. Like we all know there's certain circumstances (laughs) that are, you know, there are cultural norms we fit into and um, that allows us to adjust appropriately and still be true to ourselves. And there's a window. So if you want to Google the Jahari window, it's Mm -hmm. J-A-H-A-R-I, but it talks about what's obvious to you and what's obvious to others. It is obvious to everybody that Jen laughs a lot. Nobody's going to be like unaware. I mean, you've been on my 20 minutes, everybody's figured that out. Um, But there are things that are obvious to others and hidden from you. And that's that self-awareness where you ask others questions. And then there's what's hidden from others, but obvious to you. That's the inner world of yourself. And then there's this other window that's, it's not, it's hidden from you and hidden from others. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Enneagram can help us. Mm -hmm. And we can start to understand the deeper parts of, of who we are and how it helps me like pick the career I want to do, you know, helps me in my relationships really connect and not wonder why do people always get upset with me for this thing? And all of those things that happen in our life, that's where the self-awareness really helps. Perfect. So, um, yeah, as you just said, you were like, oh, Jen laughs a lot. So, um, um, <laughs> um, joy is clearly something that's like a large component, I'm sure, of your life as much as it is of your coaching and of your career. And I was wondering, how do you, um, how do you ensure, I suppose, not that you can always ensure joy, but how do you try and make sure that joy is brought into, um, into the work that you do, whether that oh. is your speaking or your coaching or your different avenues. So fun. So here I have lots of answers to this question. <laughs> One of them is when we laugh, mm-hmm. we learn. Mm-hmm. If you're laughing about something and you're genuinely laughing, it changes us. And there's all kinds of brain science behind that, which you don't care about. But the point <laughs> is that we learn. And so it's a natural part of who I am to laugh. And so the brain science behind that in my speaking is strategic, but it's also because that's who I am. I have a friend who, um, she happens to be at Enneagram four. And the, one of the other ways we, we learn is paying attention to the tears and Mm. she's just so good at that. Like, and that's where she brings out her own, um, authenticity. And so for me Mm -hmm. that there's that component of it, but the other component of it is joy. Isn't just laughter and happiness joy has deep roots Mm -hmm. and joy is probably one of the most vulnerable emotions that we have. Because if you think about the person, especially like, oh my gosh, in, you know, when you're, we call it high school in the U S you know, when you're in that a level stage, 
um, in the UK and somebody just is so crazy and happy and they don't care what anybody else mm-hmm. thinks. Yeah. It's terrifying to the rest of the group. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, they've just exposed what makes them the most happy. And so when we, but when we're vulnerable that way, it actually builds great connection mm-hmm. and we're at our most contentedness. And that real joy with the deep roots comes from knowing we can experience pain. I think a lot of times, I mean, this isn't just for people who are young, but I think we learn it when we are young that we have to go through a little bit of suffering and pain to understand Mm -hmm. the depth of the joy. And most of us spend tons of time avoiding it. Like, oh, I don't want to experience that pain. It's over there. I'm a little scared, you know. And and but when yeah. we can learn, oh my gosh, like I don't want that. I'm all about learning from other people's mistakes to this day. So yeah. <laughs> I'm still a great avoider. But I have learned that when it is, uh, when bad experiences or suffering or difficulty happen, when I can process through it, it actually makes my joy greater. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about Enneagram work and I bring it into my, into my coaching and my speaking, not just laughter helps us learn, but it lightens it up. It gives us mm-hmm. some self-compassion for ourselves to honor the fact that this is really hard. It's really hard to grow. It's really hard to live life. Life is just hard. And so when you can bring a little bit of lightness, but know that it's rooted, in the fact that we've honored the pain, it's a, it opens up a whole new world. So that's my, that's my joy bringer self. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so why is um, communication so key, not just um, in the workplace again, but in life, why do you think communication is such a fundamental part of the way that we work effectively and the way that we, I suppose, exist effectively um, for <laughs> la- lack of a better term, but... <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. And so communication involves so many different things. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to get in trouble for my facial expressions before anything else. Oh my goodness. So our face, our body language, our, the, the actual words, the pitch, timbre, and tone of our voices, all of that has to do with, we're communicating a message. And especially in a digital world, we have to over then communicate when they can't see the rest of that. And the reason communication is so important is because back to that idea of self-awareness, what's inside of me is different than what is inside of you. And so I have to then explain that to you Mm -hmm. in a way that is honoring to me and respectful of you. So last yesterday, so our oldest son um, Mm -hmm. has a car and he, he got a flat tire. And it was, we needed the, the tire changed and we're kind of working through it. And they're like, well, why don't we just take it to the shop? And we went around and around because we weren't using enough words to describe what we were each talking about. And Mm -hmm. I finally said, okay, so here's my whole story. I want to call roadside assist. So they will change the tire. So we can use all three cars this afternoon to get to all the places we need to go. And then tomorrow when the car repair shop is open, then we can take the vehicle in Mm -hmm. and that like, which seems really logical and simple because that's what was in my brain. And they were not and my husband and my son and some of the other people, my other kids at the table were thinking about it very differently. They're like, oh, okay, here's what I was thinking. And then they explained the rest of that conversation. And so, I mean, that's just a silly example, but it could have Mm -hmm. escalated in our house to something that was like, 
oh, mom, you're always making me do, you know, like, yeah, or why yeah. are you wasting your time? You know, all of that. So that's yeah. just a silly example from yesterday about having to explain clearly and back to my motivations because I didn't want to be limited. I wanted to be able to go to all the mm-hmm. places to go yesterday, even in our kind of semi lockdown, we had somebody who was going to the grocery store, somebody who had to go to work, somebody who had to go to a class and, you know, and we had to be different directions. So all of that is communicating through the mm-hmm. actual problem. We need three cars this afternoon, or we have to figure out a new solution. Um, or we have to fix it. Like that's the problem. But then the communication aspect was how do we solve it? Yeah. There's several different ideas. And that happens at work. You know, we have differing goals. So conflict happens when there are limited resources and differing goals. Mm-hmm. And you you have to explain the difference. Otherwise, you're you're just going to continue in the conflict. And that's why I think communication is such an important part of connection and resolving conflict and how we just go about our lives. Perfect. Um, so the next question is um, a little bit on your website and stuff. It was talking about like big questions and asking mm. big questions in your work. And I was just wondering what are some examples of um, big questions you ask? I mean, I sometimes oh. ask big questions in my interviews and people are not always thrilled. I'm like, I know it's a big question, but... <laughs> Oh, I ask so many different big questions. Um, And some of them are related to, you know, the situation at the moment. But I think Mm -hmm. the ones that I come back to a lot are, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I come back to that question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Or what if we thought about this from a different angle? Mm -hmm. Or what if we thought about this, if we had all the resources in the world, what would we do? Um, and just to get the, you lift your eyes bigger, mm-hmm. or I think about, you know, I clearly live in the United States, well, at least I'm clearly from the United States. You can hear from my accent. Um, we're going through quite, quite the turmoil right now in our world. Mm-hmm. And so I ask a lot of questions of like, how is history impacting this conversation that we're having right now? Mm. How do, how is our, how are our cultural expectations and norms influencing what we think is quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I ask a lot of questions from perspective, seeking different perspectives, as well as addressing some of those questions about what are you afraid of and what would you do if you weren't afraid? Yeah. Nice. Perfect. So the next one is kind of related to that. Um, you had stuff written about like big dreams. So I was wondering, mm-hmm. do you have any, like, do you have any big dreams? What are your oh. big dreams? Or do you have any that were really good from clients that you like want to share to inspire? Oh. I have so many big dreams. I'm such a dreamer. So um, I love to travel. Um, I studied in Oxford in college. I've lived in England a few times. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to travel and speak internationally again. So as my kids grow older or they can come with me, I would love to do that again and just be on different stages and really learn from different cultures and different places, but also um, be able to and like give as well as learn. That would be really amazing to be a real, a genuine international speaker. Amazing, I love that. Perfect. Um, So just the final question, and then you can let us know how our listeners can find you. Um, So as you know, our listeners are typically in their twenties. So what advice would you give to your, to our listeners, sorry, that are in their twenties and um, are kind of entering, a lot of them are 
entering the world of work um, in this current climate, they're maybe not always entering it, but they're kind of often leveling. I don't really like saying leveling up because it's not leveled down before, but they're kind of moving from <laughs> part-time to full-time and maybe they're, they're leveling up on a personal level in terms of like they're going to do something that personally will achieve more for them but there's nothing wrong I just want to be like there's nothing wrong with the jobs you do at uni and they're and in fact right now they're essential key workers so I just want to make sure that's clarified for everyone at home but um (laughs) yeah I suppose like what advice would you give I mean personally I'm a um postgraduate teaching student so right now I'm becoming a teacher so like after the summer I will have my own class and right now I'm in and out of schools depending on lockdown situations so what (laughs) advice would you have for me and others like me I suppose oh there's so much there and I love your clarification that work where you are Mm -hmm. like where you are is a gift so just to under underline that point that don't despise the day of small things when I was studying in Oxford um I illegally don't come after me worked at um, a sandwich shop next to (laughs) the bus station. (laughs) You know, I was, and because that's what I had to do to make it and and be able to study there. Exactly. So we, we all do that work. And I learned so much Mm -hmm. in that place. I learned how to make mayonnaise and I learned how to (laughs) um, listen for people and really what they wanted in so many Mm -hmm. different ways. So you can learn wherever you are. So maybe that's the first thing you can learn wherever you are. And as you enter the world of work, um, trust the process, trust the process of learning, onboarding, understanding a new culture and a new workplace environment and, and learn what you can from that and know that you have something to give Mm -hmm. just because you're the new person and you've got a manager. That's like, you're just supposed to get me coffee and send the emails. You've still got something to give. And so don't let somebody's other, someone's opinion of you make, cause you to feel like you're less than you still have something to give in that way. So it won't happen all at once. Trust the process and you've still got something to give in that place. Perfect. Excellent. I think that's a great way to end the episode. So um, do you want to just shout yourself out, let our listeners know where they can find you and then I'll have all that linked in the show notes as well. So people can look there if they need to. Absolutely. I'm so happy that I got to talk to you. This is Amazing. fantastic. Me too. <laughs> uh, um, so I am on Instagram and LinkedIn for the most part. So Jen underscore Whitmer and LinkedIn Thanks. is Jen Delary Whitmer. And then I also have a private Facebook community. So for your listeners who are mm-hmm. looking to be leaders or leaders in that space and who are women, um, I would love to, for you to join the Facebook group. We talk about Enneagram work, we talk about leadership and communication and how it impacts our friendships and our work environment and our lives in all those ways. So um, if you go to jenwhitmer.com slash freebies, that is where you can find all the information, my latest workshop, the things to download about the Enneagram, the the Facebook community, it's all there, jenwhitmer.com slash freebies. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on this week. It was lovely to chat with you. And, uh, yes. yeah, and thanks to everyone at home for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And, uh... Uh, don't forget to check out our Instagram at Fancy Thank you. Have a good week. Bye.